Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Uh, We are going to continue our series, New Thing. It's week number seven. If you didn't know, it's actually week 17 of our series in Acts, all the way through Acts. Week 17, I counted just to make sure. So new things taking a while to get through. We're kind of going through Acts 3, 4, and part of Acts 5. Um, we will be done with that in the next three or four weeks, and then we'll move on, keep moving on to a new sort of series, a new sort of part of the life of the New Testament church in the book of Acts. But we're still in new thing. And what we've been doing for the whole time, really, uh, for several weeks, is moving through the aftermath of a healing that takes place in Acts chapter 3. So Peter and John are used mightily to heal a lame man in front of the temple in Acts 3. Then they began preaching in the name of Jesus, who healed this lame man. And as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, they begin to meet some opportunities position from the religious leaders. They, they come, they actually arrest them overnight, hold them overnight, and then they question them. So the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the attack that came against them and how sometimes for our faith, we get an attack too, if we're honest. And then last week, we looked at um, really their defense, how they, how they could go forward in their defense. We'll kind of continue that the next couple of weeks, but in a different sort of way, um, because this week, we're going to start, we're going to look at this idea of the right response, the right response. So we, we might want to ask, okay, what's the response? What are they responding to? What are Peter and John responding to? And so let's look at this first verse, Acts 4.18 is where we're going to jump off today, um, where we left off last week as well, uh, what they're responding to and what we are going to respond to as well. So it says this, so they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. They've already been commanded once to not do this. And they've already been threatened once not to do this. They've already been told, do not do this. And Peter, as we mentioned the last couple weeks, has a first response. He sort of preaches to them the same message he'd preached out to the crowd earlier in the day before. So he preaches that to them, and then they kind of send them off, and they confer. And that's why it says here they called them back in. Because they've talked again, and as we looked at last week, they've said, hey, we've got a problem here. Because this lame man who's been lame from birth has been here for decades. We can't deny what's happened to him. And now they're trying to talk about Jesus doing this, and we're having a hard time. The crowd's growing. The converts are growing. we got a problem here. So they've already been questioned once, threatened once. Now they're brought in to be threatened again. And the threat is very basic. Do not speak the name of Jesus. Do not use that name. Do not talk about that name. Do not say that name. And that idea sort of reminds me uh, of a clip from a movie that I watched as a kid. So I want you to check this out and see if you can kind of relate to Peter and John here in this clip. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Oh, Zazu, do lighten up. Sing something with a little bounce in it. It's a small world after all. No, no, anything but that. 
I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, diddly diddy, there they are, standing in a row. Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head. No, I would never have had to do this for Mufasa. What? What did you say? Uh, nothing. You know the law. Never ever mention that name in my presence. I am the king. Yes, sire, you are the king. I, I, well, I only mentioned it to illustrate the differences in your royal managerial approaches. <laughs> hey, boss. Mm, what is it this time? We got a bone to pick with you. I'll handle this. Scar, there's no food, no water. Yeah, it's dinner time, and we ain't got no sticking entrees. It's the lioness's job to do the hunting. Yeah, but they won't go hunt. Oh, eat Zazu. Oh, you wouldn't want me. I'd be so tough and gamey and... Oh, Zazu, don't be ridiculous. All you need is a little gun. I thought things were bad under Mufasa. What did you say? I said Muf... I, I said, uh, Kepasa? Good. Now get out. Mm, yeah, but we're still hungry. Ouch! <laughs> so there you go. That's Acts chapter 4 right there, okay? Again, Peter and John have been warned once. Don't speak in the name of Jesus. Don't teach in his name. Don't say his name. Don't try to spread this propaganda. We talked about that last week. Bring him back in here and threaten them again. And then Peter has this second response. He has a second opportunity for a second response. So what we'll do today is read his short response, just four verses, and then we'll examine it for a few minutes and then try to apply it uh, to our lives. If we're kind of in the same situation where maybe your face under attack, it's under assault, you find yourself on the wrong end of, uh, of maybe that situation, uh, what's the right response? It's pretty simple, but we'll look at it today. Acts 4, starting up at verse 19 here, after their question and threatened. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. So in this second response of Peter and John, we're going to look at three things that they did not do in order to have the right response. Three things they did not do in order to have the right response. We'll look at the first two today. Again, it's th these two things will be very elementary, very simple, but hopefully motivating for you, hopefully encouraging for you in your faith, because maybe you are like them. Maybe you do feel like you're in a corner. The culture has got me trapped. I don't feel like I have freedom maybe at my workplace to live out my faith without getting certain looks or getting, you know, in trouble with HR, or maybe even your own family has put pressure on you to kind of calm the Jesus thing down. We don't want to be associated with that. Maybe it's a circle of friends that are pulling away because of your faith. It could be any number of things. And so we'll look at really today two things to not do to have the right response. And then we'll look at sort of a third idea next week that's a, a little bit different, but will also be, I think, challenging for us to have the right response and this kind of thing with our faith. Again, two simple things today we'll look at for just a few minutes. The first key to have the right response, the first thing to not do, is don't fear. We mentioned this briefly at the end of the sermon a few weeks ago, uh, but I want to come back to this again and look at it from kind of a different point of view with some different uh, ideas from Scripture. So what I want to say first may seem like a semantic game, but I want to tell you what, kind of what I mean by that, and then in a couple weeks we'll look at this idea again in, in more detail. When it comes to Peter and John here in Acts 4, um, they, they may have been afraid, but they did not fear. Again, that may sound like a semantic game, like, ah, it's the same thing, but no, no. They may have been afraid, but they did not fear. 
here's how we're going to distinguish those two things. I can be afraid and still move forward in something that I'm not sure about. I can be afraid, but I'm going to still kind of open the door and see what's on the other side. I can be afraid and still sort of make the next move. But fear will keep me from doing anything. Fear will freeze me. Fear will keep me right here, not doing anything, not being productive, not going any direction at all. I can be afraid and still be moving forward, being effective, and that's okay. That's normal. We're going to deal with that, but we don't want to fear. Peter and John naturally knew that speaking out against this group of powerful people was risky, but they did it anyway. And one major key that we looked at last week to tie in today is they knew that when Peter gives his first response, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We looked at this last week. Even when you're facing difficulty, uh, maybe you're facing pressure, maybe you're facing persecution or oppression, you need to know if you're a follower of Jesus that the Holy Spirit is with you. You are not abandoned. You are not alone. You're not outmanned, outgunned, but the Holy Spirit is with you. And they knew that. Paul talks about this in Romans as well. Romans 8.31, Paul writes, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And I'll say this too, and you might scratch your head, you might disagree, but let's just think about it for a second. For a follower of Jesus, fear is really a silly thing. Now, fear is normal right? Being afraid is normal. Being uncertain is normal because we're not omniscient. We're not omnipotent. We have limitations, okay? But it's a silly thing because to go back to this, if God is for me, who can be against me? The fear that keeps me from moving forward is a silly thing. The fear that keeps me from progressing, from trying, from testing, from lunging forward to make a difference is, is kind of a, a silly thing because if God is in control, if he's on my side, then what am I really worried about? The fear can only go so deep if there's faith underneath. That almost rhymed, and I just made that up. So hopefully you wrote that down, or I have it on tape. I'll look at it later. Really, it's this idea, too. If you're a person of faith, then it's not a fair fight that you're in. If God's on your side, it's not a fair fight, and you're on the good side of that, not being fair. You're in the advantage of that. But that's how it is in your relationship with God, in your faith. It's not a fair fight. The battle's won. It's done. Now, we're in the middle of that, so we don't always notice that, feel that, sense that, but that's where the faith has to kick in. If God is for you, who can be against you? If everybody else is cornering you and threatening you and pressuring you, man, God plus you is way more than enough. He doesn't even really need you in the equation at all. He just lets you, he just adds you in because it's fun for him, you know? But that's, that's really how we should try to view um, this idea of not fearing, Let's look at a couple of scriptures here also from the Old Testament. Psalm 3, verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory and the one who holds my head high. Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. I like these two verses together because they show kind of two parts of God being for you, fighting for you. In Psalm 3, he's a shield when you're in battle. So, yes, he wants you out there in the battle. That's part of the deal. We're in the world, but not of the world. Jesus prays in John 17. That, that's where we are. So we're in the battle. We're getting the arrows flung at us. We're, I mean, we're seeing all kinds of bombs being dropped in our life and people attacking. But he's your shield in the battle. But then also in Proverbs 18, he's a fortress that you can run to for safety. So when you have to maybe pull back a little bit and strategize, he's the one you can run to and get 
recharged. He's the one that you can find safety and security and shelter in. He does both of those things. God is with you every step of the way, in every battle that you face, every attack that you endure, every decision that you make, every test that you're facing, all the pressure that's upon you, He's with you. He's your shield and your fortress, so you don't have to fear. Last week, we looked at his, Peter's first response, and he quoted a couple of verses in Psalm 118. Remember, he, he talked about uh, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone in talking about Jesus. So he quoted some verses in his first response in Psalm 118, but I think here he's actually experiencing a different part of that same psalm. So let's look at these verses really quickly, and then we'll move on. Psalm 118, verses 5 through 7. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. On the surface, you may be afraid, but deep down, you don't have to fear. So again, Peter is experiencing this in this moment. He may not be, I mean, he's already thinking about Psalm 118 in one case because he quotes it to them, but maybe in his mind he's thinking, what can these people really do to me? How far should my fear go? How, how far back should it hold me? I'm not going to fear. I'm going to continue to do what God is calling me to do. So that's our encouragement here from this example is don't fear. The second key that we uh, want to avoid in order to have the right response is don't quit. So don't fear, don't quit. Acts 4 verse 20, Peter says, we cannot stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. Think about his point of view here. He's thinking, do you guys know what just happened out there? This lame man that you all know has been at this temple gate for 40 years Every day, multiple times a day as you enter the temple for prayer, begging, and now he's leaping, jumping, praising God. How could we not tell everyone about this? How could we keep this quiet? And then when he brings Jesus and the gospel into it, he says, and also, do you not remember what happened to Jesus like 10 weeks ago, 12 weeks ago? You crucified the man, but God raised him from the dead. How could we not tell everyone about that either? And it's the same power in both cases. How could we not share this news? How could we keep ourselves silent? We cannot stop telling what we've seen and heard. They refused to quit. They could have. They could have quit. It would have been easy. It would have made their life so much simpler. It would have got the pressure off of them, the people off their back. It would have, you know, made their life easier in a way. And there's always reasons to quit, right? always reasons excuses sometimes really good ones so i want to illustrate this idea with two old testament prophets who both had every reason to quit and look at their example along with peter and john about how we can avoid that how we can refuse to quit the first one is jeremiah the prophet jeremiah so he was uh, called by god at a young age to be god's prophet now you would think oh that's really cool i would love if god called me to be his prophet Read Jeremiah, no you wouldn't, you know. Read almost any prophet, no you wouldn't. Because Jeremiah's whole point is preaching destruction, judgment. God's coming for you. He's going to destroy you or nearly destroy you. There's going to be like hardly anything left at the, when God's done with you. And that's what he does for 40 years. That's his career is preaching that message. And you'd be surprised to find out he had zero converts from that message. 
Shocking, I know, <laughs> you know. Uh, but as far as we know, no convert. As far as we know, maybe he had one friend and associate that helped him, followed him, believed in him, didn't try to kill him. One, one guy. So he's preaching this for 40 years, day after day. He has multiple attacks on his life, multiple threats on his life. Much like Peter and John, he's threatened, he's strong-armed to stop preaching this message, to, to just shut up, Jeremiah, stop it. No one wants to hear this, no one believes you, no one likes you, just stop. And then in Jeremiah chapter 20, here's, here's how bad it gets for him. The actual priest of Israel in charge of the temple arrests Jeremiah for his prophecy. He arrests him, he has him flogged, and then put in stocks overnight. The next day, just like Peter and John, he's released. And then Jeremiah has a moment with God after all this happens. He has a very honest conversation with God. Let's look at it here for just a second. This is how Jeremiah feels in this moment. Maybe you can relate. Jeremiah chapter 20, starting at verse number 7. O Lord, you misled me, and I allowed myself to be misled. You are stronger than I am, and you overpowered me, just like arm wrestling. Now I am mocked every day. Everyone laughs at me. When I speak, the words burst out. Violence and destruction, I shout. So these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. But, verse 9, if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. So first, I appreciate Jeremiah's honesty here. He's like, God, I didn't sign up for this. When you called me, I didn't know this was how it's going to be. I feel misled. Is there a lemon law for prophets? Because I'd like to return myself, you know, without penalty. Uh, what's, the, what's the return policy on the call of, on my life? Because this is not what I thought was going to happen. This is not what I signed up for, what I expected, what I want to happen. I'm mocked. I'm laughed at. I'm a joke. I'm mistreated. I'm attacked. Jeremiah has every reason to quit. As far as he's concerned and everybody else is concerned, he's wasting his life. And as far as he's concerned, he's risking his life. He's enduring unspeakable pain. But, Jeremiah has a really big but, okay? And it works to his advantage here. He knows this. I'm, I feel like I'm wasting my life, but I know there's a bigger waste if I quit. It seems like I'm risking my life, but I'm risking on missing out on God's plan for me if I quit, I am enduring pain, but he equates trying to quit with a fire inside my body that's going to burn me up and kill me. Like, it, as much as it hurts to let it out, it's going to hurt even more to keep it in. I can't do it, he says. That's exactly what Peter and John say. We can't stop telling everything we've seen and heard. We can't keep ourselves. We can't contain it in. It's like fire in my bones. So maybe what you're facing, the battle that you're facing, you're just ready to quit. But everyone in life is fighting something. Believer, non-believer, spiritual, non-spiritual, everyone has battles. So the question is, will you fight for something that actually matters? Everyone in life struggles with something. And for you as a follower of Jesus, maybe you're struggling in your faith or struggling because of your faith. So everyone struggles. So the question is, will you struggle with God on your side if it's for the right thing? Everyone endures pain and suffering of some kind. Everybody endures pain in life. Everyone. But the question is, will you endure pain that has a purpose? That's the difference here with 
quitting versus not quitting. You're still going to have rough days whether you're a Christian or not. You're still going to have pain whether you're a Christian or not. You're still going to endure some type of mocking from someone because you're not going to be cool enough for somebody all the time every time, okay? You're never going to be like the top dog, and even they get made fun of by the lower dogs, okay? So no one's immune to these struggles. It's just in a different sort of way. So the question is, will you quit and still struggle pointlessly? Will you still have pain purposelessly, or will you continue to march forward in what God has for you in your life of faith with a purpose, with a plan, with his plan in mind, pushing you forward to what he has for you? That's what Jeremiah did. Don't quit. The second example is, we mentioned him a few weeks ago, the, the prophet Elijah. Very similar to Jeremiah. They, they both kind of have this depression tendency within them, and for good reason. Uh, but here, Elijah's kind of, he's been battling this evil king and queen for years now. He's been on the run for his life for years now. He's just come off this great victory on this mountain, but he's been outnumbered 450 to 1. There's 450 false prophets who are calling fire from their God, and there's him. And he wins, right? He, he wins the battle. He wins the victory. And yet after this, we see him laying here under a tree asking God to literally kill him. He says, God, I'm done. I've had enough. I'm the only faithful one left in the entire nation. What's the point? What's the use? He's ready to quit. And what happened here with Elijah is he let discouragement lead to despair that led to deception. Discouragement led to despair that led to deception. Because he says, I'm the only one. But that wasn't true. God reveals that to him later. But in his, his, his discouragement and despair have gotten so bad, he's ready to quit. But it, because it's, it's deception. He had an incorrect view of the situation. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you look around on the surface and see, man, the culture is just going downhill so fast. It's getting worse and worse, like we've never seen before. You would say biblical values are deteriorating like never before in our culture, in our society. It's crumbling around us. A majority of the world rejects Jesus. It's so terrible. The, the powerful and elite leaders are leading us into destruction. Uh, the pressure that I face in my faith is mounting like I've never known before, and it's worse than ever, and it's all doom and gloom. But that's actually deception because that's how it's always been. That's nothing new. It's just that we're living in our version of that. So it's always been that way. God's way has always been unpopular. The gospel has always been under attack since day one. Followers of the one true God and followers of Jesus have always been the minority, always been outnumbered. It's nothing new, but we're seeing it, maybe you're seeing it through this lens of discouragement that's leading you to despair and then leading you to, uh, what did I say, deception. And if we're not careful, uh, that's going to lead us to defeat. If we quit, it's going to lead us to defeat. So again, things may look bad and they are bad. Yes, I'm not trying to say deny reality. I'm not saying stick your head in the sand. I'm not saying, oh, it's okay. It's not that bad. It is bad, but it's always been bad. And somehow we're still here. The church has always been under attack. Jesus even said the gates of hell are going to come against it, right? But they're not going to prevail. The church is still here. You're still here. You still have a purpose. God still has a plan. And so you're, you're going to be okay if you don't quit. Don't be deceived. Don't quit. That's what Paul says in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not get tired of doing what is good, he writes. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. That's Galatians 6, 9. 
he uses this idea here of, of a farmer. Now, a farmer's goal is to reap a harvest, harvest crops, correct? But the, the farmer can't just go out and plant the seeds and then I'm done. If, if he quits, there's no harvest to be reaped. You can't even go out there and just water it for a couple days and then just hope that something happens. You've got to work it every day, all the time, to reap that harvest over time. That's the same thing spiritually. If we like, oh, you know what, I'm just too tired, I've had enough resistance, I'm just going to quit. Well, you're not going to reap the harvest that God has for you. Well, you know, the pressure is too great and I'm just going to cave because I, I don't want to hurt their feelings, I don't want to offend them anymore. Well, well then what, do you, what are you going to do with your life then? What has all this been leading up to? It's, it seems like such a waste now if you quit. Oh, you know, the culture's too bad, and I don't think I can make a difference, so I'm just going to kind of, you know, ride the wave and just hope, you know, I'm making it, doing fine. No, 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 don't, don't quit. We're pushing against that. We're pushing against those forces. We're pushing against uh, that opposition toward us. We're not going to let it push us back all the way. We're going to dig our heels in and push forward the other direction. Or, or we can lay down and quit. Now, let me just say this as we begin to close. Are you tired? Probably. Are you discouraged? Maybe very much so. Do you feel beat up? Possibly. Do you feel like you're ineffective in your faith, in your witness, in your life? Maybe you do. Do you feel alone? Perhaps. But don't quit. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to minimize whatever battle you're in. Again, I'm, I'm not saying it's not happening, just deny it, just, oh, it's not that bad, but like you're dying inside. Like, I'm not saying that we have to feel, oh, everything's just great and life is wonderful and you're like, I'm, I'm like at 1% here. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not trying to diminish what you're going through. I know it's difficult. I know seasons are really dark and kind of scary and I, I get that. It's not always easy. I understand that, but quitting cannot be an option for you. Quitting, as a follower of Jesus, quitting cannot be an option for me. Opposition, resistance, attack, darkness, difficulty, man, I've got to really lean into the Holy Spirit in that moment and not push the ejector button in that moment. I've got to fight what feels natural, like Jeremiah, it'd be easier if I quit. Like Elijah, I'm just done, kill me now. Like, no, no, that, that's the easy thing, that's the more convenient thing, but we want to push the other direction because we know, we know that what God has for us is too important to quit. What God has for you in your life is too important to let fear, first of all, keep you from accomplishing his goal for your life, his plan, his purpose for your life. It's too important. What God has birthed inside of you to make a difference that you don't even think is a big deal, it's too important. It is too big of a deal for you to fear and let it keep you from doing what God's called you to do. What God has for your life, for your witness around your neighborhood, with your family, your coworkers, is too important to quit on that goal. It's too big. It's too important. So don't fear. If God is for you, who can be against you? He's your shield. He's your fortress. Don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to speak out or stand out. Is there a risk? Yes, but that's the right response. Don't fear and don't quit. If you're tired, if you're discouraged, if you're defeated, just keep moving one more step ahead, one more day forward. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to lay down and die. I'm just going to move forward, push forward, advance the kingdom of God because the work he has for you is too important to fear and too important to quit. That's the right response to make a difference and fulfill all that God has for your life. Let's pray. God, today as we sort of examine this story in Acts, we can probably see parallels to our own day, our own time, our own lives.
Yes, the culture is on a downward slope. Things maybe seem worse than ever, but we just read Acts 4 and say, well, nothing's changed. I'm just living in this iteration of that. And I'm facing maybe persecution, maybe I'm facing opposition, maybe I'm facing difficulty, even as we mentioned earlier in this series, from people close to us. And it hurts, and I I am afraid, and I want to quit, but God, help us to remain strong in you. You're our shield. You're our fortress. You're our place of safety and refuge. You are the one that holds us. You're our firm foundation, and so help us, even if we're afraid, to not fear. To not let fear keep us from the purpose and plan that you have for us in our lives. Help us to not quit, but to keep just pushing a little bit more. Just push more the next day. Push a little bit harder the next day. Try to push past the uncertainty. Push past the discouragement. To try to not be deceived by our discouragement, but to see, okay, this is just how things are. But God, I'm going to push forward. I don't see the difference I'm making, but I'm going to press ahead. I don't see how I'm going to get through this difficulty, but God, I trust you and I'm not going to quit. Quitting is not an option for me as one of your followers. Help us to have that attitude, to have this right response. Don't fear, don't quit. God, encourage us this week, even today as we might face difficult things, even this afternoon, that you've prepared us for that moment. You are with us in that moment. You have great things in store through that moment. Help us, be with us, strengthen, and guide us as we don't fear and don't quit. God, I thank you and praise you for all those here today and pray your blessing upon them as we leave this place today. Give us an awesome rest of our weekend and bring us back next time ready for more and more of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.